From Upstate Medical University in Syracuse, New York, I'm Amber Smith. This is HealthLink on Air. A number of COVID-19 vaccines are being studied, and one trial is underway here at Upstate Medical University. Here with details about the study and how you can participate is Dr. Stephen Thomas. He's the chief of Upstate's Infectious Disease Division. Welcome back to HealthLink on Air, Dr. Thomas. Thank you for having me. Well, this is exciting. Um, what can you tell us about this potential vaccine? I agree. It's uh, it's very exciting. So, uh, the vaccine uh, comes from a cooperation between Pfizer and a German company called BioNTech. Um, it's a, a phase three trial. Uh, phase three trials are trials where we, uh, in addition to confirming uh, the safety of the vaccine. Uh, we also look to uh, see if the vaccine does what it's supposed to do, which in this case would be to protect people from uh, the disease caused by infection with SARS-CoV-2, which is the virus that causes COVID. Uh, they intend to enroll approximately 30,000 people uh, globally uh, across more than 120 uh, sites. There are uh, more than 40 sites in the United States, and, you know, we're you know, we're very pleased that SUNY Upstate was one of the sites uh, uh, chosen to be uh, to be a testing site. So when you said it's phase three, uh, does that mean that we've already shown this product to be safe? That's a good question. So, you know, typically there are uh, three phases that a vaccine goes through. Uh, to get to the point where um, the FDA can make a determination whether the vaccine is safe and effective. Uh, the first phase, phase one, is typically in a small number of people, and it's primarily focused on safety, so looking for um, frequent uh, safety signals that would pop up in a small number of people. And then uh, phase two is uh, larger numbers of people. It could be a couple hundred people. Uh, it still focuses on safety, but it also uh, starts to look in depth, you might also look at different doses, you might look at different formulations or variations of the vaccine, you would look at a dosing schedule. And then phase three, um, you know, once you have demonstrated uh, safety in those phase one and phase two trials, that's when you embark upon uh, phase three or what we call uh, efficacy, uh, efficacy trials. So safety really is always sort of a primary objective of these studies. But once you get to phase three, uh, you're, you're again, as I mentioned, you're looking to see that the vaccine did what it was supposed to do. So we at least know it's safe in the sense that it's it won't hurt somebody, but we don't yet know if it's going to work to protect you against COVID. So what we know is that in the you know hundreds of people that have already received the vaccine, uh, there were no concerning uh, safety signals. Um, but, you know, demonstrating safety of a vaccine, uh, that is kind of a, a continuous process. I mean, that process continues even after the vaccine is licensed, even after the vaccine is um, kind of rolled out and millions and millions of people are receiving it. Um, safety is safety information is always being uh, is always being collected. It's a continuous process. So you mentioned um, Pfizer. There's a bunch of different uh, pharmaceuticals that are working toward a vaccine. Are they all designed to do something different inside the body? So the, the goal of all the vaccines is to generate 
an immune response uh, such that if the person were to come in contact with the virus, um, their immune response would recognize that virus as a, an invader <laughs> uh, and that the immune response would then attack the virus and uh, prevent the virus from making the person sick. Um, now, the mechanism by which they generate that immune response or um, how the vaccine uh, components are delivered to the individual, that's where you run into, uh, that's where you run into some, uh, to some variation. Okay, so this one, how does this one that we're using at Upstate compare with other vaccines in development? What, what does it do to the body? Yeah, so, so this vaccine is what we call an mRNA vaccine or a messenger RNA vaccine. Uh, it's in the same category of vaccine that Moderna, which is the other uh, company that's in phase three testing right now. Um, it, it's the same sort of uh, concept where um, the, the genetic code of the spike protein on the virus. So you can imagine, I'm sure many of your listeners have seen pictures of the virus, but you know, you can imagine, um, you know, like a tennis ball and the tennis ball is covered with all these knobs and those knobs would be the spike protein. And it's that spike protein that when the virus comes in to contact with um, a cell in the human body, it's that knob which allows that virus to attach to that cell and then the virus to get into the cell uh, and then for little baby viruses to be made and then to go out and infect other, other cells. So the concept is that if you can generate an immune response, let's say antibodies, for example, if you can generate antibodies that will bind to that spike protein, then theoretically you could prevent that virus cell interaction uh, and infection uh, from occurring. And therefore you could prevent virus from replicating and you could prevent people from, uh, from getting sick. And so what these vaccines do is they have the genetic code of that spike protein. Uh, it gets packaged and in, injected into the person and then the person's own cells um, uh, picks, up that, uh, picks up that genetic code and it starts informing the body that, hey, this is a, uh, you know, this is a, a foreign genetic code. We need to make an immune response against it. And then that immune response kind of lays in wait until you um, uh, come in contact with the virus in nature. And then it remembers, oh, hey, I've seen this before. Let's deploy our immune response uh, uh, to that virus and uh, neutralize that virus. So that's, that's kind of how how it works. Um, you know, there are other vaccines that, um, you know, there are live virus vaccines. So where you would actually be given uh, a form of uh, the entire virus, but the virus is weakened. And so it only replicates a little bit. Um, so not enough to make you sick, but enough for you to um, uh, generate immune response. Or there are killed vaccines. So they take the virus and then they uh, uh, inactivate it with chemicals, for example, and so um, so there's you know th these different types of uh, approaches, but that but that's the one that Pfizer is uh, uh, um, utilizing. I've heard this trial described as um, being randomized, placebo controlled, observer blinded. Can you interpret that for us? 
Sure. So, you know, that really is the gold standard for um, how we like to do uh, how we like to do vaccine trials or drug trials or any kind of, of clinical research experiment where we're trying to determine if an intervention has some kind of uh, has, has a, a beneficial effect. And the reason that we use these types of trials is because we want to eliminate um, bias, either uh, conscious bias or unconscious bias. So when we say it's randomized, um, what we mean is that in this particular trial, it's randomized one-to-one. -one. So what that means is 50% of people will get um, placebo, 50% of people will get the actual experimental vaccine. Uh, when we say that it's um, blinded, what we mean is that nobody will know who's getting what. And it's double-blinded, meaning not only will the volunteer not know who's getting what, but the team of investigators, so myself and the other physicians and the clinical research coordinators and the other members of the team, they also will not know who's getting what. Um, and then placebo control means that instead of, uh, you know, we just are using a placebo, which in this case is just uh, water. Uh, in some trials, they may use um, an actual licensed vaccine uh, as the as the control. In this case, we're using just uh, uh, just just water. So half the people get vaccine, half the people get placebo. Nobody knows who gets what. And this way, um, people cannot uh, uh, cannot make guesses or be biased in uh, as we collect our information. So will all of the people be exposed to the COVID virus? Um, so, yeah, so that's a question. Uh, that's a good question. Um, and I'll kind of put a finer point on it because uh, the reason is because um, there is actually a lot of discussion right now whether or not um, scientists should deliberately um, do trials where they deliberately expose people uh, to coronaviruses. And we call uh, we call this uh, human challenge trials or uh, experimental human infection um, uh, trials. So th we we are not doing that. And so um, the other way that someone could be exposed, obviously, to uh, uh, to the SARS-CoV-2 virus is uh, in nature. We're lucky we have a very small amount of virus that is circulating in Central New York right now. Uh, it is possible that anybody. Um, living in the United States right now could be uh, theoretically exposed um, to the virus. So, so the answer to your question is sort of <laughs> yes and no. Uh, yes, everyone is at risk of exposure to the virus naturally, but no, we are not um, purposefully uh, exposing people to the virus. But and the people in the uh, trial are not being protected either. They go on about living their lives, right? I mean, they do. Absolutely. Yep. So, you know, as I mentioned, there are more than 40 sites in the United States. Some of those sites are in places like central New York, where there's very little uh, COVID activity currently. Um, and then some of those places are in areas like California and Texas and other southern states where there is a ton of COVID activity um, right now. So, uh, and, and then, you know, remember, we're also following these people for, for two years. Um, and there's you know, there's a reason why we follow people for, you know, for a long time. It, it does not mean it's going to take two years to make a determination of whether or not the vaccine worked or not. They're hoping, the company's hoping that they'll have that information by the end of this year. Um, 
but we will be following people for a long period of time and we'll be checking on them to make sure that they're not experiencing symptoms of COVID. And if they are, we're going to figure out if it is COVID and we're going to take care of them. This is Upstate's HealthLink on Air. I'm your host, Amber Smith, and I'm talking with Dr. Stephen Thomas, the Chief of Infectious Disease, and we're talking about a clinical trial of a COVID-19 vaccine taking place at Upstate. Let me ask you, did you believe that recruiting people to participate in this trial was going to be a challenge? Uh, I did not because even before we uh, even before we were selected to be one of the vaccine trial sites, uh, you know, I would ha- I would have a lot of people engaging me and asking, you know, are, are we going to have a vaccine? Are we going to be able to test the vaccine here? You know, let us know if there's going to be a vaccine trial because we'd like to participate. Uh, and I can tell you, we've had um, we've had well over a thousand people who have. Um, either registered through the central website or have called us or who have emailed us um, raising their hand and wanting to participate. Wow. And is it, it, it sounds like it's mostly altruistic. They want to help us, you know, get a vaccine that works, right? Yes, I mean, absolutely. And we are looking for people, uh, two kind of big groups of people, looking for people who are risk of infection. So at high risk of infection, people who, if they are infected, have a higher risk of getting really ill or having a bad outcome. Um, so that first group of people would be healthcare workers or essential employees in um, uh, other industries or uh, first responders. So, so people that through the nature of their uh, daily lives, occupations, et cetera, um, they, are, they are forward-facing people and they have potential to be infected. And people in the the latter group um, are people that we've been talking about since the beginning of the epidemic. So these would be, you know, people over 60 years of age, people with pre-existing medical problems, uh, African-Americans, Latinos, um, other other groups that we have identified that um, have higher rates of severe disease, higher rates of hospitalization, and higher rates of, uh, of death. So those are the two big groups of people that we are, um, you know, that we're interested, uh, that we're interested in recruiting. Uh, I, we get the question a lot, you know, are people compensated? Um, you know, we, we, we do provide people uh, financial compensation uh, for their time, uh, but I can tell you that it is not enough compensation uh, to um, coerce somebody into doing this trial or to really incentivize somebody to do this trial. So if, if you're not doing it for the mere purpose of, uh, you know, trying to support science and trying to support, um, you know, us finding a solution to this problem, uh, then I would I would say that you should not uh, that you should not participate because really that's the only um, that's the only reason why you would participate in a project like this. Does a person need to have health insurance in order to participate? So, you know, there are lots of different kind of infrastructures put in place to take care of um, volunteers, and so if. If somebody um, becomes sick during the course of, of the trial, um, it's built into the trial design that we are going to take uh, to take care of those people. Um, and we take care of people 
um, for any kind of illnesses or injuries that are part of uh, participating. But say, for example, you know, if somebody were to come to their, <laughs> someone comes to their visit and then they walk and they, you know, walk out of the clinic and miss a step off the curb and they, uh, you know, they hurt their leg, um, that's on them. That's the, the, the you know, the trial, it, it, you know, is not responsible for that. We can't, we can't, uh, um, you know, take ownership over that. So, uh, yeah. So however they would normally, you know, care for themselves for sure. normal, you know, routine things, that's, uh, uh you know, that's still their responsibility. Are there uh, any conditions that would disqualify someone from participating? Yes. Yeah, so, you know, we're enrolling people from 18 to 85 years of age, right? So we expect that people are going to have um, pre-existing medical, um, medical conditions. And again, we are trying to develop a vaccine that will protect those people because they are at the highest risk of a bad outcome if they do get they do get infected. Every medical provider who's part of the study team has the responsibility to work with the volunteer to understand their medical histories and to understand that the problem that if the problems they do have, uh, that they're being adequately managed and that they're adequately controlled. And if they are, so for example, if someone has high blood pressure but they take blood pressure medicine and the blood pressure's um, in a reasonable range, then that's somebody that. Um, you know, that could participate in the study. But if somebody had a blood pressure that was out of control and they weren't on medication and they weren't taking care of it, we would not want that person to participate. We would want them to go to their doctor and get their blood pressure under control. Um, you know, people that have, uh, people that have, uh, you know, active uh, diseases like cancer or people that have, um, you know, rheumatologic diseases or autoimmune diseases, uh, these are folks that we, we would not want to participate in these experimental, uh, in an experimental trial. We would prefer that they get their, you know, that they work with their doctor to get their medical conditions under, uh, under control. What about someone who um, survived COVID? No. So we, what we're interested in is uh, we need people who have not been previously infected because if they've been previously infected, they already have an immune response um, uh, which they acquired naturally, right, through natural infection. Uh, and that could, uh, we won't be able to uh, uh, adequately evaluate their immune response to the vaccine because they already have a pre-existing immune response. And so uh, so people who have already been infected, um, you know, they for this particular trial, that they would not be eligible to enroll. Well, walk me through, if you will, uh, what would a person expect if they were selected to participate in the study? What's involved in that? Yeah, so, the, you know, the first thing that's involved is that they are provided uh, what we call a consent form. So the consent form, um, it, it talks about the, the study. It describes what the purpose of the study is. It describes the vaccine. It describes what that person can expect. It talks about risks of participation. It talks about um, benefits of participation. It talks about um, what will happen if they if they get ill. So the first thing that happens is that they have a conversation with me or one of the other study investigators um, uh, about that consent form and and we answer questions and we ask them questions to make sure that they understand you know what what uh, um, what they're proposing to get uh, you know to get involved with. 
Um, and then, you know, they go through a medical screening to make sure they're healthy enough to participate. And then once they're selected to participate, they either receive uh, two injections of vaccine or the placebo. Remember, nobody knows which. It's separated by about 21 days, those two doses. Um, and then they're seen in a number of follow-up visits. Um, so the, the total duration of the study is two years. The total number of visits is about six. And um, about three of those visits occur in the uh, in the first month. So it is a long period of time uh, uh, to commit, but the visits are infrequent over that period of uh, that period of time. Um, and what they can expect in addition to getting these experimental, either the experimental vaccine or placebo, is that they're gonna um, we're gonna ask them for a couple of tubes of blood every time they come into the clinic. Again, primarily to measure um, immune responses to uh, uh, to the vaccine, and then the last thing they can expect is that they're going to be watched very closely by our team for the next two years, and that if they um, develop symptoms that could be consistent with COVID, uh, that we're going to you know have a conversation with them, and and uh, we're going to figure out if in fact it is COVID, and then we're going to help uh, work with them and their doctor to that they get uh, that they get proper care. So if if these people in the study are not ultimately exposed to COVID in the community. How are we going to know whether the vaccine is working? Well, remember, there's more than 40 sites all around the country, and this is one of the reasons why you do these very, very large multi-center studies in that, um, you know, if, if in some parts of the country there's not much COVID, like where we are, um, we may not be able to tell, we may not be able to generate information that tells the FDA whether the vaccine worked or not. Uh, we will be generating information that will tell, um, you know, is it safe? Is it safe in all these different populations of people? What do immune responses look like? What do they look like um, over time? Whereas in other sites, so as I mentioned, like, you know, the Carolinas or Florida or Texas or uh, Alabama, um, you know, Louisiana, California, these other locations where there is a ton of uh, COVID transmission right now. In those sites, they would be able to acquire information about who's protected and who's not by uh, by the vaccine. So it's, I mean, this is why you have, you know, diversification of your sites because you can get bits and pieces of information from all of them to then, you know, aggregate all that information to create um you know, the story, uh, the over or overarching story of, of, uh, of safety and uh, effectiveness. And you mentioned, too, this is an international trial. So there's more than 40, 40 sites in, in America, but a number of other sites in other countries where cultures are different. Um, I mean, so we have a, a huge collection of data to work with, right? Correct. Right. So there, there are sites in Europe and there are sites in, uh, in Latin America. Well, I want to let listeners know where they can find more information. Um, the email I have is trials, T-R-I-A-L-S, at upstate.edu, and the phone number 315-464-9869. Uh, and is there any other advice that you'd like to give to someone who's considering? There's one other website that they can go to. It's called uh, COVID Vaccine Study. Dot com, and um, once you once you go onto that website, 
bring through a couple of questions uh, to determine um, whether you would be eligible or not, and then it would provide you with uh, a number of different places uh, in New York and other states, local, uh, nearby states where they are uh, testing the vaccine so that you can choose the closest uh, site to go to. Wonderful. Well, I want to ask you a little bit more because there's a number of vaccines from different makers that are in clinical trial now, and it sort of seems like they're racing, but I'm not really sure what they're competing for. Is, is there a race to be the first to come up with a vaccine? Well, you know, these are, uh, these are for-profit um, companies, right? They have to, uh, they have to secure a return on their financial investment so that they can continue to develop and work on, you know, health problems. You know, that being said, the federal government uh, has infused billions and billions of dollars into, into these companies to help them uh, kind of kickstart and move as fast as, uh, you know, move as fast as possible. Um, you know, there's always, and, and I'm not, I have never worked for a pharmaceutical company. I mean, but I can tell you from working closely with them, you know, for you know, 20 years, yes, there's always, there is always what I would say, a healthy competition between uh, companies that are trying to, um, you know, trying to be first to come up with a solution to a problem. But I think in this particular case, um, I think the speed that you see is um, a reaction to uh, the dire um, situation that the planet is in right now and the need to find a vaccine solution so that partnering vaccination with continued use of public health interventions, we can try to um, drastically uh, uh, bend, bend the curve, flatten the curve, uh, decrease the curve so we can uh, kind of, you know, through this thing and, and come back out on the other side as quickly um, as possible. I think it's also recognized that, uh, you know, the scope of the problem is a global scope, right? And we have seven and a half billion people on the planet, approximately one vaccine and one manufacturer is not going to be able to uh, service that entire, you know, global need. And so I think there's also multiple groups racing because there's going to need to be multiple, um, you know, vaccines, uh, uh, to, to most effectively uh, combat the virus. So, so that's my, that's my interpretation of the, uh, uh, of the race. Is there a discussion about who will get the vaccine first uh, or is it going to go to the higher risk populations, the people that are sort of in the trials now, or is there, is it going to be decided some other way? Yes, there is a, uh, and has been, uh, you know, for weeks now, a, very intense global discussion about who should um, who should have access to the vaccine uh, first. That's not only um, you know that's a discussion uh, at the level of of nations and, and the World Health Organization. Uh, there have been statements in the past about um, and conjecture that uh, you know countries that have invested monies should have priority and have first access, um, which as you can imagine, drew some pretty rapid uh, um, and spirited responses, um, uh, 
mostly uh, from the concept of, um, you know, ethics and global access and uh, disadvantaged populations and, you know, trying to trying to uh, um, really focus on solutions at a global level versus, uh, you know, who who invested the money and who should get it first. And, and I think, I mean, ultimately, the way that vaccine um, access and distribution and use is determined is typically by um, where is the public health need. So who's getting infected, who's getting sick, who's dying, who is driving other infections, um, and you know who could we vaccinate um, that would give us the greatest bang for the buck in terms of interrupting transmission within societies and that sort of thing. So, uh, and, and that can be different whether you're in you know, Latin America or you know, Europe or the United States or, or Asia or South Asia or Africa. Um, but yeah, so all those discussions are ongoing. And then, you know, the second question of, well, what, um, what about people who are participating in these, in these trials? I and mean, that's really a question for that's really a question for the company. Uh, but what typically happens is that if somebody's in a placebo-controlled trial, they get a placebo, but the vaccine is determined to be safe and they get licensed, those people typically get vaccinated um, you know, once the once the trial uh, once the trial is over. Oh, well, very interesting. Well, thank you yeah. so much for this. Um, my appreciation to Dr. Stephen Thomas. He's the chief of infectious disease at Upstate. I'm Amber Smith for Upstate's podcast and talk show, HealthLink on Air.